is with you this morning. Sally, are you causing trouble down there? <laughs> if you have your scriptures with you this morning, turn to probably a book you wouldn't expect for the resurrection message this morning, but Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 18. Uh, we're going to read verses 18 through 25. We'll use several verses as we work through the resurrection this morning, but let's read these together. This will be the basis for the truth that we want to look at this morning. This dichotomy uh, that though we live in sorrowing and suffering in this place and at this time, we have this great hope, this glory that's going to be revealed to us that Paul speaks of. He not only speaks of it here, but as you'll see towards the end this morning, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 as well. And he paints a beautiful illustration of resurrected life. We talked about the resurrected hope this morning from the book of John, how Mary stood weeping at that tomb. She thought her whole life had flashed before her eyes, everything that she had hoped for, the forgiveness, the newness in Christ, the, 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 the goodness that he brought to her life was all gone, but it was not. She just misunderstood what resurrection life was truly about. And I think a lot of us do that today. A lot of Christians uh, underestimate what it's going to be like to live on new heavens and new earth and new bodies right? New heavens, new earth, new bodies. And I know that the older I get, the more I appreciate the new bodies part, right? We all do that. So the scripture has a ton to say about that. So let's look at that this morning. Romans 8, 18 through 25. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, um, as we come to this text this morning, there is so much truth and hope here. We live in a world of hurt. We look around us. We see the suffering. We see the sorrow. We see the tears. We see the tragedy. We see it all. And our hearts are greatly affected by it. But, Father, we have a hope beyond hope. Not only do we have a hope of resurrected life after the grave, but a resurrected body that is eternal in a world where sin no longer exists. That's the hope that Paul's given us here this morning. It's the hope that each one of us sitting here today need to grasp with both hands and run and be free and to live with. My prayer is that you'll work in the hearts of your people that you go beyond my simple words this morning and speak directly to them with the work of your spirit. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the psalmist writes, he pens the poignant prose of every longing human heart. Every longing human heart as it awaits the freeing victory of a coming day, a better day, a day that is long hoped for, a day not too distant in the future, a day when all that is unjust, a day that when all that is unrighteous shall be put aright, shall be made anew, shall become unspoiled, living and free. The psalmist speaks of this day in Psalms 30, verses 1 through 5. David writes, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. What hope is found in that passage from Psalms, weeping, weeping. We've all experienced that happening. We've each one of us wept over something that has broken our hearts, some sorrows, some suffering that we've gone through. Weeping is the direct result of sorrows, and sorrows is the direct result of sufferings. Sufferings are the result of unrighteousness in this world. Suffering and sorrows come from the wickedness, as Paul writes in Romans 8, of this present time. Oh, beloved, this world generates manifold sufferings. If anybody with eyes to see it can see it, right? Just two short weeks ago, we found out about a shooter who had gone into a Christian school there in Tennessee and murdered three nine-year-old children and three adults because she hated God. She hated everything they stood for when she went in and took their lives. That's sorrow. That's true sorrow. Our hearts were immediately gripped with this level of sorrow, this suffering. Not only the act itself, but the suffering that the families are enduring even today as they celebrate on the Lord's Day, the loss of their loved ones. The suffering of the families, the suffering of the community, the suffering of everyone who loves what is right brought sorrow to our heart and weeping to our eyes. The psalmist and Paul There in Romans gives us a truer understanding of suffering, though. Both of of these passages denote what we know is very true reality in this world, suffering. But both of these passages, the passage in Romans 8 and the psalmist in Psalms 30, both of them point towards a greater reality, a greater hope, a greater truth, and that is that suffering is only momentary. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Because in God's economy, and for those that hope in him, we will have joy, unbridled joy, splendid joy, joy unspeakable, and it's coming. We just have to wait the night through in the morning. 
or joy is coming in the morning. This is what I'm dubbing the Saturday weeping as we celebrate the resurrection day. Think about that Saturday, will you? Just for a moment. I think that Saturday where they had no longer Jesus to look at, even though it was horrific what happened on Friday, and they had yet to understand the resurrection, they wept on Saturday. I think it's kind of an illustration of our lives, isn't it? We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of everything, but we weep in this time. Even though we live in joy, we weep because this time in between, before we assume everything that's been given to us, we see these realities of this world. The day between Good Friday and the resurrection of Christ, this day of the week represents the Christian life. Think about those early disciples as they stood by that cross on Friday. They had great sorrow. They had witnessed a mock trial. They had witnessed the humiliation, the spitting, the mockery of Jesus. They had witnessed his torn body and his result, that scourging that took place. They watched as he struggled down the Via Dolorosa, the pathway of sorrows, the little narrow street there in Jerusalem that led from the place of his condemnation to the place of his crucifixion. They watched as he carried that cross up to the top of Golgotha. They watched as the Roman soldiers tied him there. They watched as the guard would drive the nails through his hands and his feet. They watched as that cross was stood upright for all the watching world to see the suffering and shame that he would endure, the suffering and shame of our Lord. They watched all that day as Jesus gave his life, and then they heard those final words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Think about their weeping. Think about their Saturday. It was a difficult one. Not fully understanding what Jesus had told them repeatedly about the resurrection, they stood there shocked, suffering, filled with sorrow, probably filled with fear. They were dejected. They were defeated. They were fearful that their fate would be the same. They believed that the evil of this world had taken the Lord and that it would soon overcome them. Oh, they must have had such fear on Saturday. But, beloved, the hope is that joy comes in the morning, that we won't be left in our fears and our suffering. Just as the early disciples and believers experienced sorrow and suffering and having watched Jesus die, they experienced the joy that came the next morning upon seeing Jesus resurrected. Think about that vision in their sight. They had first-hand experience of Jesus walking again on this earth. Just as they went into that Saturday without fully understanding this, the impact of the resurrection, they came to that Sunday to understand the greater glory, a joy unspeakable, the joy of life everlasting, the truth of the resurrection and the hope available to every believer today. Beloved, they, re they experienced resurrection hope. It must have been so real for them to watch Jesus die and then be raised to life on the third day. They lived their Saturday and now we are living our Saturday, but we have the hope of resurrection just the same. Jesus had previously spoken with Mary and Martha 
in John chapter 11. I love this passage of Scripture in John chapter 11. And for anybody that's been around the Bible any moment of time, you too understand this story. Lazarus had died. Jesus had purposefully tarried four days before going back to where Lazarus had died. And when Mary and Martha see that Jesus is finally coming, Mary goes out to meet him and he and she says, and, and her and Mary's, um, Martha's words are both the same in John chapter 11. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but Mary come out and she met Jesus there. And, he, and she says to Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus consoled her and gave her hope. And she went back to the house where the mourners were and death and and the, the, the idea of death was everywhere. And Martha come out to meet Jesus. And she fell at Jesus' feet and she saw him. And she said, oh, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, wanting to clear this up by raising Lazarus, said the words in John chapter 11, verse 25. And they almost sound foreign to our ears today in the world in which we live. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha, not understanding completely what that meant, says, I know that he's going to rise again someday in the future during the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at her and says, do you believe this? What Jesus was saying to Martha and Mary in that moment, and what he's telling each and every one of us today, that we are immortal, <laughs> that the resurrection life believes the moment that we place our faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ and not one moment later, that we can rely on that life and life everlasting. Beloved, as Jesus says this to Martha, he is saying it to us today, and it is foolishness to unbelievers. What does it mean that though he dies, he still will live? What do those words mean, Jesus? Well, it just means simply this, that to the believer, death is victory. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we know that that victory, uh, he says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty through 58, that death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us our victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in 1558, Therefore, my beloved brother, because you know this, because the victory is coming, and the victory is already yours, therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, get to work. Be at work. Be believing continually that Jesus gives you life, and that's life everlasting. It begins with life over physical death, and it ends with life on the new heavens and the new earth with a new body that never ends. Okay? Got to grasp a hold of that. He's saying that to us today, and it sounds like foolishness to unbelievers. Uh, you know, when I talk to folks about that, it's almost like speaking a foreign language. They have no resurrection hope is why. And I fear it's an unrealized truth for far too many Christians today. They don't understand the full hope, the full impact the resurrection has for joy in this life, in this time, during this Saturday, during this period of suffering, during this night, because joy comes in the morning. Jesus is saying, for those that believe in him uh, will live and never die. This is resurrection hope. 
This is the essence of the Christian life, beloved. This hope is the essence of the Christian life, and this hope in this life is what brings us to what Paul writes in Romans 8.18. That though there are sufferings in this present time, he writes, he writes, let me just read it for you again, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, no matter how great they are, if I could paraphrase him just momentarily, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how big evil looks, no matter how much we have to go through, that the sufferings of this present time will not compare with the glory that is coming in the morning. They will not. This is the essence of the Christian life, to grab a hold of this with everything you have and to live. It's, it, it is life as if we believe we will never die. Do you believe this? No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you this morning. This is Jesus' promise. It's life, and we will never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? It's life, and you will never die. If you were standing right there beside the resurrected Jesus, man, that would slap you in the face, would it? We got the same promises. This is the essence of the Christian life, that we live in the blessed hope of the joy that comes in the morning. This is the power over the grave. And it's the, I, I, I believe it's the essence of the Christian life. All the world fears death because they do not fear God. But for every believer who fears God, death is but victory. And this is the essence of the Christian life, that we live each day in that victory, that we live every day in that victory, that we live every day, as a reformer said, quorum Deo, before the face of God. Not only before the face of God, but in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. That's the Christian life. Those first century believers did. They saw Jesus alive, the resurrection was real, and the Spirit came to them just as it has come to us, and they went out and they changed the world, did they not? We see what happened in Acts 2. We see what the result of seeing Jesus alive from the grave brought to them. They were fearless. They built churches. They talked to the authorities. They changed the status quo. They charged everyone, repent and believe or lest you shall die. They told everyone about Jesus. They were fearless. They were fearless until death. All of them were persecuted to death. This is the Christian lie. Those first century believers did it. They not only did that, but they had wives, raised children, and fed themselves while they were doing it. It's the essence of the Christian life that we live quorum Deo, before the face of God, in the presence of God, and by the authority of God to the glory of God. That in the power of the resurrection, we live and move and have our being. That in the power of the resurrection, we will pursue all that is true, all that is good, all that is beautiful. That in the power of the resurrection, we will love our wives, our spouses. That in the power of the resurrection, we can raise our children. That in the power of the resurrection, we can serve. In the power of the resurrection, we can worship. Because it is there, in the presence of God, before the face of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God, we live in a sin-stricken world full of suffering, yet full of joy. The, the two are not dichotomous. They're not mutually exclusive. Because our morning is coming, we can live as if our morning is coming. This is the hope of the resurrection. We live in the present with a joy that surpasses understanding. 
And we can look ahead to that day of glory that is coming that will surpass all of the earthly trials. It will swallow them up. As Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. All of the sufferings of this present age are not compared with the glory that is to come, the future glory that is to come. What is that glory? (laughs) That should be the next question on your heart. What is that glory? What is Paul talking about specifically there? Well, he further illustrates as we look into 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 16 through 5, 5. Turn over there with me, if you will. Joy in the midst of suffering uh, breaks away to a greater glory in the life to come. 2 Corinthians, beginning uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Paul, uh, Paul illustrates this a little bit more clearly than we have in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. He helps us understand how Saturday breaks into Sunday, I think. Joy in the midst of suffering is the Saturday of this life, but Paul is reaching further. He is standing on the promises of Jesus from John chapter 11. He is speaking of a time beyond when a further clothing takes place, he will call it. What is it? Is it more of Jesus? It is more of Jesus. It's always more of Jesus. It is life we have now in the promise of resurrected life. But there's something more. There's a greater glory that is to come. That all who live now and believe in Jesus will never die. But there's more. There's more Jesus, more joy, more joy that comes in the morning. And I'm so unafraid, afraid that we kind of undercut this theology. We do not get into this enough in church of this truth. Because we will see God just as Job retorts in our flesh. We will stand before God in our flesh, and that's why we live at this moment in this life, Coram Deo, before the face of God, uh, under the authority of God, in the presence of God, and to the glory of God. And that's why the Christian life is, this is the essence of the Christian life, to believe that the resurrection took place and that we can overcome all the sorrows of this world. But sometimes, beloved, we get so busy living our Saturdays that we forget Sunday is coming, don't we? We're such creatures of that habit. It looks like times are evil. They are. It looks like evil is winning. It looks like the corruption is increasing. And as I said, our bodies get old and worn out. Well, some of you have that problem, right? We all do. And we see this coming. But Paul is saying that that is so natural. That that's the way God has created us. That that's the way this transition takes. That that's the way we go from Friday to Sunday. From the night of sorrow to the morning of joy. Read with me in in 2 Corinthians beginning in chapter 4 verse 18. Paul says this. You see it there? We So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer uh, self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that's the transaction that's taking place. We live in this world of sorrow. Sin is the cause of all death, disease, and destruction. It is the cause of the death of our physical bodies, the ruin of this, uh, ruinousness of this creation of this earth, and of our physical bodies. And sin is taking our physical bodies, but it is not taking our spiritual self. It can't take our minds unless we give that to it. We can understand and stand on the resurrection that joy is coming in the morning. And we can live this life here much differently because we understand that. So though 
Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is actually gaining strength. It's being renewed by day by day. By what? By the hope that we have that's coming in the morning. By the hope that we have in the resurrection. Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, for this light momentary affliction. Boy, that's tough words to people who suffer today. You know, I think about people that that have their identity in suffering. Joni Erickson Tata, I know many of you Christians know who she is. She's a paraplegic, right? Who has happily suffered what she has suffered because it's shown her how great God is. If we took her suffering away from us, we wouldn't have her identity anymore. We wouldn't have the love that she gives us. We wouldn't have all the joy that she brings into the world because of the way she handles her suffering. He calls it a light momentary affliction, not because it's not great affliction in this time and this place. It certainly is great affliction. There are children hurting today. There are people being persecuted all around this world. There are shooters going into Christian schools killing little girls. The affliction is horrific. But it's juxtaposed against the glory that's coming. And because the glory is so great, it's going to make the affliction look like nothing. Do you get that? The joy that comes in the morning is going to wipe out the weeping that took place last night. And we use that metaphorically because our life is but a vapor, James says. It's over in an instant. It's like the time between Friday and Sunday. And we can either live it under the stress of this world or the joy of Jesus Christ and the hope of his resurrection. Beloved, that's your choice. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. As we look, listen, it's important that we live a certain way. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We had that from Romans 8. He said, hope, hope in things that we can see is not really hope. We hope in the things that we can't see. That's what hope is. That is that resurrection life that's coming. He's going to call it a further clothing, but what he's going to say is that we don't often think about nearly enough in this life, is that God is going to one day wipe away all sin, and he's going to raise our dead bodies from the ground, and he's going to put our live spirits in a resurrection body, and we're going to live forever throughout eternity in a land that's not broken where there's no sin and death and dying are no more. That's the greater reality, but it grows beyond that. Let's keep reading. That great reality is warms the cockles of my heart this morning to speak of those things, that we will live forever that we'll enjoy the things that we enjoy today and they won't be spoiled by sin. I'll go further later. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what we're living for is the eternal. That's what he's saying in 1558. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Those things that we do in the Lord's name will be eternal. They'll have an eternal weight of glory. Verse 1, chapter 5, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, and Paul is using it metaphorically to describe our body, our physical body that will leave us, 
Our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building that's coming from God. It's a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. In this life we groan. In this body we groan. At this time we groan. We mourn. It's Saturday, right? But joy comes in the morning. We're longing to put on our heavenly dwellings. That is our resurrected lives. If indeed by putting it on, verse 3 says, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. More of Jesus. Paul says also that uh, he uh, is hard fixed between the two, to leave and go and be with the Lord or to stay and serve him here. But either way, he's with the Lord more of the Lord Jesus, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, he says. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He who has given us his spirit as a guarantee, and that spirit works in us. And here is the transition that we will all have resurrected bodies. And you say to me, what the heck is that going to look like? And what will it be like when Christ returns? I can't fully say that. Jesus has a resurrected body, and those disciples saw that. The Bible doesn't explain a lot about it, but we know that it'll be a perfect body that lives forever. We know that it'll be in a perfect place, a new heavens and a new earth, where there's no more sin and no more sorrow and nothing left to to make it die or make us die. We'll look like Jesus, is what John says in three chapter First uh, John three verse two. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will we be as he has not yet appeared? But we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's a blessed hope. We don't yet know exactly what that will be, but it will be perfect. I think that's good enough for me. That's good enough for place to place all my hope. We shall see him because we shall see him. We shall see him face to face. And when we're talking about a creative reality, we're talking about resurrection hope first so that we have joy in this life. But we're also talking about a resurrected hope and a resurrected body at a time in the heavens and earth where there'll be no more sin, pain, and sorrow. And that gives us greater joy. But we also go just a little bit further as we watch Paul here. He's saying it's a, it's a greater glory, a greater reality. And what is that? That we'll be face to face with Jesus in the presence of Jesus. That is the center of all that we long for. The center of what Mary Magdalene longed for. She walked in that tomb and she wept. And then she spoke to the gardener, believing Jesus to be the gardener. She wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus turned to her and said, Mary, she knew instantly she was in the presence of Jesus. All of her hopes and fears were gone. They will be that way for us. We can be that way today. This is why I know that if we live now this Saturday, if we live this life before the face of God, Coram Deo, in the presence of God, under the authority of God, for the glory of God, that when this Saturday is over, we will see the face of God. You know what that reminds me of? Show me your glory. Remember Moses? I don't want to go if you're not going to go with me. Show me your glory. Moses said in Exodus 33, 18 verses, Uh, Through 20, please show me your glory to God. Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before 
before you my name and the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I have shown mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, and, and, and for man shall not see my face and live. But that didn't stop Moses. Moses said, show me your glory. It's the greater glory that God's talking, or that Paul is talking about, that we will live in a place where we can see God. Oh, God, please show me your glory. Show me the glory of life. Show me the glory of a world without sin. Show me the glory of a world with no more pain, no more dying. Show, that's Moses' heart. That's our heart. That's our life. Show me a glory of a world where there will be no more tears. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Beloved, I'm stopping right here. That's the resurrection hope. That though we live in Saturday, Sunday's coming. That though the world seems hopeless, we have hope beyond understanding. We have peace that passes understanding. And beloved, I can tell you this without a, a single doubt, that if you're here today and you haven't faced, placed all your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Saturday's never going to end. It will never end but be eternal. The gospel of Jesus Christ is fulfilled and the hope of the resurrection. It solidifies all the work that Jesus had done. It proves that he was the sin-bearing, suffering servant, the Lamb of God, perfect, righteous, and that he was nailed to that tree, that he bled and died and was buried in that grave. But on the third day, the resurrection proves it all. Amen. The psalmist writes, he pens the poignant prose of every longing human heart as it awaits the freeing victory of a coming day, a better day, a day long hoped for, a day not too distant future, a day when all that is unjust, all that is unrighteous shall be put right, made new, unspoiled, living, and be set free. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh, Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O oh, you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. He is risen. Amen? Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close today, I thank you so much for the attentiveness of your people, that we can come together, that we can join our hands and clap and sing and rejoice over something that is so worthy rejoicing, that we can find hope and something that is so full of hope that we can look to it and 
receive from it all it has to give in this place and it only continues to give more it only grows there's only a greater weight of glory that's coming that we will one day be with you where you are see your face until that day that we live before your face under your authority and for your glory father may each person that's sitting here today or listening online understand the hope that is in the resurrection the hope that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that their sins can be forgiven if they would only turn, repent, and put all their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand. we got one song left. The guys are going to collect the offering.